Hello, I'm Wendy Brigby, host of Texas Biobites from Texas Biomed. Today we're talking about baboons, fascinating creatures originally from Africa that have become important biomedical research models. At the Southwest National Primate Research Center in San Antonio, a colony of more than 1,100 baboons are helping advance knowledge and science that advances human health. Here's one of the staff members who helps take care of the baboons. My name is Heath Neville. I am lab manager in uh, the Behavioral Services Group at Southwest National Primate Research Center. Where are baboons native? Baboons are found in Africa, uh, pretty much throughout the whole continent, except maybe the really arid deserts and the really deep, dense, like, Congo region. So how did these baboons come to be here in the first place? I believe in the, in the, in the late 50s, uh, they were brought over as a breeding group. The uh, original group was from Kenya and has grown ever since. So how many baboons are there now in this particular colony, and what makes them unique? There are approximately 11 to 1,200 baboons in the colony right now. What makes them unique is some of them um, are pedigreed. They have uh, different uh, attributes such as a tendency uh, to develop uh, obesity or diabetes. Uh, so they're excellent for, for those uh, types of studies. Apart from that, just as an animal model, baboons are fairly easy to keep in captivity. They are adaptable. So there are seven generations of these baboons over the last 50 years, right? I believe so. Yes, that's correct. Tell us a little bit about these monkeys. Baboons in captivity are, are going to be a, a little bit more robust than you would find them in the wild. Uh, our guys here get uh, a nutritionally balanced baboon chow. And uh, that is supplemented with uh, produce and grain and, and, and other sorts of novel food items to, to keep their diet varied. Uh, they don't really have to work and forage as much in captivity as they would in the wild. So our guys can get um, upwards of 60 to 75, 80 pounds. Females are gonna be uh, almost half the size of a, of a male. Tell me a little bit about their calls. They sound different than the other non-human primates here on campus. Baboons have a, a variety of calls. In the wild, it would be that they indicate that they found a food source. Here in captivity, it's to indicate that the food truck is coming. If you want to simplify it down, you could say that they're all variations of grunts <laughs> or squeals. Tell us about the reproduction of these animals. So baboons generally give birth to individual infants, although uh, I believe uh, uh, twins would certainly be possible. Uh, gestation is uh, 100, a little over 180 days. Um, the infants are born and then they immediately cling to, uh, to, the, to the stomach of their, of their mother and they'll uh, nurse and suckle. Uh, and then in the wild at least, uh, around about uh, a year, um, the, the kids will get weaned and um, the cycle will start again. They start out black, right? And then they turn brown. They do. They, their, their coat is uh, coat is jet black around six months of age. They'll start to change in about nine months. Um, they, they basically look like small adults. What different kinds of research are they used for here at Texas Biomedical Research Institute? They've been used for everything from um, a male contraceptive to artificial vertebral discs. They are used in atherosclerosis research, 
arthritis. What do you like about working with these animals? It's never boring working with the baboons. They are incredibly intelligent. No matter how long you've worked here, you are always learning something from them. They, they will always surprise you and sort of humble you. That, that's one of the, the, the things that I've always enjoyed the most is that you never get bored. Do you consider this baboon colony a precious resource for biomedical research? I think they make excellent biomedical research subjects. They're, they're very adaptive. They do very well in, in captivity. What do you do to let the monkeys be monkeys? What kind of enrichment do you provide for them? So we have a fairly extensive uh, enrichment program. Uh, baboons in the wild uh, spend a vast amount of time uh, foraging for a lot of uh, different things, different food items. They are omnivorous. Uh, that instinct is still intact, even though they've been in captivity for several generations. So a lot of our enrichment and enrichment devices all revolve around getting the animals to exhibit this foraging behavior. Uh, that said, one of the most important aspects of the enrichment program is maintaining uh, the animals in a social group. Most primates uh, exist in some sort of social group, so that is really kind of critical where we at least try to maintain them in at least a pair, if not a group. That is the fundamental aspect to our, our enrichment program, followed by making sure that they have a novel and varied um, supplement to their diet, and then giving them um, devices and, and puzzles to allow them to occupy themselves and uh, to exhibit that, that sort of uh, foraging behavior and uh, problem-solving behavior that they would use in the wild and be able to use in captivity. Scientists at Texas Biomed use baboons for a number of different research projects, including a new study focusing on neuropsychiatric disorders. I'm Melanie Carlos. I'm an associate scientist in the Department of Genetics. Uh, my work focuses mostly on epigenetics, looking at um, both cardiovascular-related diseases and also neuropsychiatric disorders. What is epigenetics? So epigenetics is really looking at those changes that occur that aren't within the DNA sequence. So these might be changes that can be influenced easily by the environment, but they control gene expression and also protein expression. What is the research you're working on right now that involves baboons? So the project that we're looking at is really trying to see if baboons might make a good model in general for neuropsychiatric disorders. Like what? So we're taking a very broad approach at the moment. We're looking at magnetic resonance images. So we're taking or looking at the structure of the brain and we're also looking at how the networks in the brain might functionally connect to each other. If baboons could be a model for neuropsychiatric disorders, why would that be useful to have them as an animal model? So one of the biggest problems that we face when we're talking about neuropsychiatric disorders is something called clinical attrition. So what this means is that when we undergo preclinical work in rodent models is typically the case, that doesn't translate very well to the clinic. And so we only have about an 8% success rate of drugs that will do well preclinically that also do well clinically. And so when this happens, uh, really there's a lot of in, there's a lot less investment in into those drugs um, and into how to market those drugs. So really we need to identify a better model that more accurately reflects uh, the human uh, symptoms of psychiatric disorders. 
and why might baboons more closely mimic human disease? When we compare things like non-human primates and humans versus, say, rodent models, which are typically used, and humans, what we find is that non-human primates have a much more complex brain structure and cellular organization, uh, much more similar to humans. We also find, when we look at it from a genetic standpoint, that in particular when we're looking at psychiatric genes, so those genes that are underlying or that we know that underlie psychiatric disorders, they're actually evolutionary conserved between the non-human primates and between humans, but not between humans and other animal models such as rodents. So this is a real lay question here. How do you get an MRI of a baboon's brain? So what we do is we actually go to uh, an imaging institute that is close to our institute. It's only about a 15-minute drive. Uh, so the animals are transported to that imaging institute. They are actually under anesthetic, and while they're under anesthetic, um, they're monitored the entire time to check for heart rate, uh, blood pressure, uh, I believe body temperature is checked, um, so they're, they're continually monitored. They undergo the MRI whilst they're under anesthetic. And so really, it's not like a, a painful invasive procedure for them, it's a scan. Yes, essentially. We use the same instrumentation that we use for humans. Um, so anyone that's undergone a brain MRI uh, will understand that it can be a little bit loud, but it's certainly not uncomfortable. You just lie there, you try to lie still. Um, the reason that the baboons are anesthetized is so that they do lie still. Um, but it's certainly not an invasive procedure at all. So you started this recently, right? Yes. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. We've studied uh, four baboons so far. So we're still collecting the data before we analyze all of it, but we haven't had any problems with the MRIs so far. How many baboon brains will you be looking at? Total will be 32 baboons. We're trying to split that. Uh, we want to make sure we get both female and male baboons. Uh, we're also trying to capture young and older baboons. Um, and the other thing that we're looking at is we're trying to capture a variety of behaviors across the baboons. The baboons that we have in our colony, we know that some of them actually have epilepsy or they show signs of epilepsy. We also see different rates of aggression across baboons. Um, and you can also identify in some manner uh, baboons that might seem to be more depressed or anxious that, uh, that we can look at as well. And then what do you do with the information you gather? What do you do with the MRI scans themselves? So what, when we do the MRI scans, we're also collecting blood samples and we're also collecting CSF samples. And from those, we're actually deriving something called microRNAs. And these are small molecules that can regulate gene and protein expression. So what we're trying to find is we're trying to find peripheral biomarkers to, that might predict uh, variation within brain structure. And we've done similar studies in humans. So one of the things we're, we're trying to look for is to see whether those biomarkers that are reflective of brain structural variation in humans are the same as the biomarkers that we see in baboons. Why would that be helpful to know? If we can identify um, biomarkers of neuropsychiatric diseases in humans, and we see that those same biomarkers are predictive of changes in brain structure, we also know that changes in brain structure influence psychiatric disease. So that may give us an indication that baboons may provide a model for psychiatric diseases.
just a fraction of medications that are experimental for these kinds of disorders work in humans? Yeah, so whenever anyone's trying to develop a new therapy, um, there's a lot of work involved. So typically it starts at the very beginning with basic research where you might try to find um, targets for a particular drug. You will undergo a lot of testing in cell-based models. And then the next phase is the preclinical models, which is typically animal models and rodents are the most commonly used. Um, once you assess the safety and the efficacy of the drug in an animal model during this preclinical stage, uh, after that, you would then move into the clinical stage. Why is this a passion of yours? One of the things that interests me about this is when we look at psychiatric disorders, they're very hard to treat and they're very hard to understand. And so I find it, I find it very challenging. Uh, and a lot of the work I do in humans, we're actually starting to look even um, at a lot of uh, adolescents and children that, are, that have psychiatric disorders. Um, so especially if we can sort of start to treat some of these disorders early, then I think that's a really good thing. And it would alleviate so much suffering. Yes, essentially there, there is a lot of um, both high mortality associated with psychiatric disease, a lot of suicide associated with it. Um, but more than that, there's, it's, it's got a very high morbidity. So it affects uh, not only the individual that has the disease, it affects family and friends. Um, it has a very high economic burden on society. And um, really there is not a lot of successful treatments available for psychiatric disorders. And many of those that are currently available really have been found often serendipitously. So they're not potentially targeting the, the most important phases of the psychiatric disorder. How useful is it for you to have this enormous colony of pedigreed baboons at your disposal for this kind of research? So it allows us uh, to really try and identify variation across uh, baboons. So having a very large pedigree, um, we actually see sort of differences in sire lines. A lot of what we look at is we try to identify things that are heritable. So even though we're looking at epigenetic factors such as microRNAs and another area of research we look at is DNA methylation, what we tend to find in humans is that expression of those things is actually heritable in many cases. So by having a pedigree of baboons, similar to if we have a pedigree of humans, we actually are able to better identify those genetic and epigenetic factors that can contribute to disease. Who's funding this particular study? This is a study that's funded by the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, which is part of the National Institutes of Health. Texas Biomed is enhancing lives through discovery. Our passion is bringing science to you. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and visit our website, txbiomed.org. I'm Wendy Rigby. You've been listening to Texas Biobites from Texas Biomed. Please subscribe to hear more episodes.